0: Well, good morning. good morning. My name is Steve Hopped. I'm one of three pastors here at, at Piney Ridge Church. It's my joy and my privilege to be able to bring this message to you this morning from Exodus twenty, verse fourteen. You know, it's been I've been blessed in my life to have examples in my own family of people who are committed to the faithfulness of their marriage. My, my maternal grandparents, I'm not sure how many years they were married, but I remember way back in the foggy, distant past that I attended their 50th wedding anniversary celebration, um, not long before my grandmother died. So they were married 50, 51 years probably. My own parents were married for 53 years before my dad passed away. My older sister has now been married for 57 years, and my younger sister, not younger than me, but younger than my older sister, has been married for 53 years. You know, my brother-in-law, Howard, told me a story one time about his own parents, about his own dad. His dad had been a Baptist pastor in southeast Missouri for, for many years. And when they got into their late 70s, early 80s, they moved into the Baptist home in Ironton, Missouri. And they were living there, and Howard went down to visit them. I'm not sure what the occasion was. It could have been an anniversary or his mom's birthday or something. But anyway, they had a little small family get-together in one of the rooms downstairs where actually his dad often led a Bible study. And his dad had his guitar with him, and he launched into a love song for his wife. And Howard was so struck by that, that he had to pass that on to me, that his, his dad, who'd been married now at that time for over 60 years, having a wife who had dementia, they no longer shared a bedroom. And yet he pursued her. He was attempting to stir the fires of romance. And that has stuck with me. What a beautiful picture of marital faithfulness, a faithfulness that, that endures until death. Faithfulness is important in our marriages because without faithfulness, love and romance have very little meaning. And that marital faithfulness is going to be the soundtrack for us this morning as we look at this passage in Exodus 20. We're continuing our journey through the book of Exodus and through the Ten Commandments. We're looking uh, at the Seventh Commandment this morning. And as we always have, we're going to talk about the precept, another fancy word for commandment, and the principle behind it, and then the person of God from whose character the commandment proceeds. So the precept this morning is straight from Exodus 20:14, which says you shall not commit adultery. It's straightforward, five words. And it says to us that we should stay faithful to our covenants of marriage by abstaining from sex outside of the boundaries established by God in marriage. The principle behind this precept is that God's people should honor and worship their faithful God and demonstrate his steadfast faithfulness to them by striving to be faithful to their own covenants and promises, especially the covenant of marriage. Our faithfulness in marriage is intended to put on display to the church and to the world that our God is steadfastly faithful, morally perfect, and a triune God. And this morning I intend to start not with the precept, but I want to start with the steadfastly faithful God who commands it. I want so badly this morning for you to walk out of here with an enlarged view with a magnified view of the faithfulness of God. I want you to be overwhelmed by it, as we sang. I want you to be thunderstruck by it. I want the faithfulness of God to stir within your hearts a love for God that is greater than when you walked in here. I want you to see His faithfulness so clearly because it's a model for how we should live our lives. I want you to be comforted by the faithfulness of God. I want you to understand that He is faithful to empower you to be steadfastly faithful like He is. But most of all, I want you to see the faithfulness of God because this commandment that we're talking about this morning is about God. In fact, all of the Ten Commandments are about God. In fact, the entirety of the Bible is about God. He is the focus, and we are to love him with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, and if we love him, we will obey him, and we will be faithful to our spouses in marriage, but also faithful to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, and to our church. The Bible overflows in its praise. Of God, uh, just for example, I want to look this morning at Lamentations three twenty-two through twenty-four. It says this: "The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases; His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is Your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion," says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Now, whenever we see this phrase, the steadfast love of the Lord, it's talking primarily about the covenantal love that God has for his people, meaning that God loves his people because he's in covenant with them and he is faithful to that covenant. But also it means that God is faithful to his people not because the people merit it, not because they've earned his faithfulness and love or deserve his faithfulness and love, but God is faithful to his people because he's in covenant with them. God communicates with his people through covenants. God relates to his people through covenants. And and if you're trusting in Jesus Christ this morning for your salvation by faith through grace, you are a child of God, By means of a covenant, you're trusting in God and you are a child of God by means of the new covenant that was established in Jesus' blood. His blood was the condition for the covenant and his blood secures the covenant. Therefore, if you belong to God by faith, you can be sure, you can feel secure in his love and faith love for you and his faithfulness to you. He will fulfill the covenant. It's guaranteed. And thus here in Revelation, we see that the steadfast love of the Lord, his faithful covenantal love, never ends. His mercies are new every morning. His mercies were new this morning with grace to cover our sins. His mercies will be new tomorrow morning, and the morning after that, and every other morning of your life, and even beyond your life, God will continue to be merciful to you and faithful to you. God will never let you down. His faithfulness is great. It says here that He is our portion. God is the goal of the gospel. God is is what we're We're longing for. We want to be in permanent and complete relationship with God, who is the source of all joy and all blessings and all good gifts. We can hope in Him because He is faithful. And I want you to do a little mental exercise this morning. I want you to, kids, you can do this too. I want you to place in your minds, get fixed in your minds, the picture of one person in your life, that you absolutely trust more than any other person. Who is that person that you trust? Might be a parent, might be a spouse, might be a sibling, might be a best friend. I want to tell you something. You can trust God a thousand times more than you trust that person. Now, that's not big enough. You can trust God a million times more then you can trust that person. I'm a math teacher. You can trust God infinitely many times more than you trust that person. That's how sure and secure God's faithfulness is for you if you are his child. God can be trusted because his faithfulness is great. And we see a wonderful picture of the faithfulness of God in the Gospels. In Matthew 26, Jesus has celebrated Passover with his disciples. They've taken a walk to the Mount of Olives. Jesus has taken a few of them onto the Garden of Gethsemane. He's prayed and he's come back. And now here comes Judas who approaches him with an armed mob and he goes up to Jesus and plants a kiss on his cheek to identify him to the mob. And Peter, deciding he's going to defend the Son of God, takes out his little sword that he had and swings it at the head of the servant of the high priest and misses his mark and slices off his ear. And Jesus reaches out and heals the guy's ear. And then he says this to Peter. He says, Peter, put away your sword. And then in Matthew 26, 53, he says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? I did the math. That's about 120,000 angels, if you want to know. But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Listen, Jesus didn't need 12 legions of angels to rescue him. He didn't even need one angel. Jesus was the incarnate God the Son, who had spoken a word and created the universe out of nothing, whose word sustains the universe to this day. Jesus' word. John gives us a nice picture of the power of God's of Jesus' words in his gospel. When this mob came and Jesus says, "Whom are you seeking?" and they said, "Jesus of Nazareth." And Jesus says, "I am He." And the power of His words were such that the mob fell backwards. Don't think for one minute that throughout the the trial, throughout the torture throughout the flogging that left his back in shreds and most likely exposed his bones and his internal organs, making him so weak that he couldn't carry the cross to Golgotha by himself. When they stretched out his arms and his feet and they hammered spikes through his wrists and his feet, don't think for one minute that Jesus couldn't have spoken a word and rescued himself. But he was faithful because he had, he had agreed in covenant with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit before creation that he would come and rescue his people by dying on the cross for them to save them from their sins, to save them from the wrath of God at the judgment. And he was faithful to that covenant. That is our faithful God. And this steadfastly faithful God is the one who, in whom the seventh commandment is grounded. And he created us to be his image bearers. He expects his people to remain faithful to their covenant of marriage and to their covenants and promises that, that they make with people. Listen, the marriage covenant is important. Because it's grounded in creation. At creation, God said a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And the prophet Malachi informs us that when that happens, that there's a third person in the covenant and it's the eternal God, this faithful, eternal God. And marriage is intended to reflect the covenant that God has with his people. Haven't we heard over and over in Exodus, I am your God, and you are my people. I'm your God. Worship me alone. No one else. Do not worship idols. And you are my people. You're to bear my name when you go out into the world. Isn't that the same thing that a husband and wife say to each other at their wedding? I am yours alone, and you are mine. That covenant is to reflect and portray the covenant faithfulness of God. Throughout the Old Testament, God has used marriage as a metaphor for this relationship. Just for example, Isaiah 54, 5, Isaiah says to the people of Israel, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. And we see similar passages throughout the prophets. And God has frequently equated the idolatry of His people with adultery and with prostitution. In the New Testament, we see, especially in the book of Revelation, the church is called the Bride of Christ Christ. And, and Paul says that when we are in a marriage relationship that the husbands should love the wives as Christ loves the church, and the, and the wives should respectfully submit to their husbands as the church respectfully submits to Christ. We are to be showing the world what is the relationship between God and His people in marriage. Isn't it wonderful? Jason mentioned it earlier. Isn't it wonderful that the faithfulness of God is because of the covenant and it doesn't depend on our faithfulness? Isn't it the gracious love of God that he continues, his mercies are new every morning, even when we prove to be faithless? Jason likes to remind us that there are some things that God cannot do. He cannot be he cannot act in any way that is counter to his character and nature. God is perfectly faithful, therefore God cannot be faithless. And he will not be faithful and faithless. And if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you this morning that even when you fail, there is grace for you by the blood of Jesus Christ, and he will continue to be faithful to you if you will turn to him in repentance. What a Savior. So in light of the steadfast faithfulness of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, God's people ought to strive to reflect that faithfulness in all of their dealings with each other, but especially those that are married should uh, should strive to reflect that faithfulness in their marriage. And that leads us to the commandment that we're looking at this morning, you shall not commit adultery. Now, adultery by definition is voluntary sexual relations between a married person and someone who is not his or her spouse. But like we saw last week with murder, it's really easy for some of us to look at that definition and and kind of puff ourselves up maybe and say, well, I've never committed adultery. But hold on. We get to the New Testament and the New Testament begins to expand what, it, what sexual sin is. And then we come to Jesus, just like he did with murder in Matthew 5, 27 and 28. And Jesus is going to bring this sin right down into the middle of the heart. He's going to say, this flows out of a heart filled with evil desires. Look at Matthew 5, 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is not negating the command. He's saying, that's right, you should not commit adultery. But let me explain to you what adultery is. Adultery proceeds from an unfaithful heart. The lustful intentions of the heart are in themselves an act of adultery. And while Jesus' statement appears to take dead aim at men, I don't think women are off the hook. We know that men and women are wired differently. We know that men, most men, struggle frequently with lustful intentions, mostly having to do with what their eyes see. And while there may be some women who look at men with lustful intentions, I think in general that women are more likely to lust after emotional intimacy and romance that they might share with men who are not their husbands. Different mechanisms, but the same unfaithful, lustful intentions the same unfaithfulness to their spouses and the same unfaithfulness to God. We need to take sexual sin seriously. I'm going to just put up a few passages that talk about this. I'm not going to read all of the passages, but here we go. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, and so on, will inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5.19 Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, and the list goes on. And then he says, I warn you. As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Revelation 21, 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. God is serious about sexual sin. And listen to me, if you profess to be a follower of Christ and you believe that your inheritance will be with the saints of God, but you are living in unrepentant sexual sin, I warn you this morning that your life is not exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. I warn you this morning that you are not living in a manner worthy of your call. And I warn you this morning that you are headed down the road to hell. And I call you to repentance. Do not trifle with God. Instead, repent because His grace is there for you if you will turn from your sin and ask for His forgiveness. So here are some ways that we can respond to this commandment. Number one, if you're married, remain faithful to your spouse sexually, emotionally, mentally, visually. You know, it used to be a regular part of the wedding vows that said, forsaking all others, I will be faithful to you. That's what we do when we get married. We are forsaking men, we are forsaking every other woman. Every other woman is off limits to you if you're married sexually, romantically, mentally. Wives, every other man is off limit. Off limits. So don't daydream about them. Don't fantasize about them. Don't dwell on what it would be like. Oh, it would really be nice to be married to him or her. She would treat me better than my husband or wife. Don't do that. They're off limits. That doesn't mean you're not allowed to speak to them. You're not allowed to interact with them, engage with them, pray for them, pray with them. But be on guard. Guard your hearts. Guard your eyes. And pursue your spouse. Romance your spouse. Set aside regular date nights and getaways. And kids, listen to me. Don't cover your eyes and go, Ew, gross, when your parents kiss each other. I challenge you to not do that, but rather be happy. Rejoice that your parents are love each other. And they're being faithful to each other. And they are painting a picture for you of what it means to be faithful in marriage. And they're painting a picture for you of a faithful God. Two, if you're single, abstain from all sexual activity until marriage. Guard yourself sexually. If you don't, You're committing adultery against your future spouse. Or if you don't have a future spouse, if you remain single your entire life, you need to remain faithful to your Savior, the husband of the church, Jesus Christ. Honor and glorify God with your bodies. Be a reflection of the bride of Christ that will be presented to Jesus Christ as a pure and spotless bride. Three, a separate word to men. Women are created in the image of God. They're equal in value to men, and they were created to glorify God. They were not created for your visual or sexual gratification. Okay? Now... Men, instead I want to encourage you to honor, to learn to honor and respect all women. Learn to honor and respect and protect your wife, but also honor and respect and protect other women, and especially protect them from yourselves. You know, the Bible says that we should no longer regard people according to the flesh. And any woman, men, any woman that you come in contact with is an eternal soul destined to spend eternity with God in pure joy or destined to be spend eternity in misery separated from God. And if there are If they're trusting in Jesus Christ for their salvation, they're your sister in Christ and they need you to encourage them and to pray for them. And if they're not trusting in Jesus Christ for their salvation, they need to hear the message of the gospel. They don't need you to be looking at them. I think if we could all adopt this worldview we would go a long way to helping us in overcoming the lustful desires of our hearts. Jesus says that we should seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And that's this is one way, men, that we can do that. So take it to heart. For if you are a follower of Christ and you struggle with sexual sin, but... You understand that it's wrong. You you confess it as sin. You're striving to repent of it, but you find yourself defeated more than you're victorious. I want to remind you of of a couple things. First of all, I want to remind you of 1 Corinthians 10.13. Look at it up there. No temptation has taken you, overtaken you, that is not common to man. What's the next three words? God is faithful aren't you glad what's he faithful to do he won't let you be tempted beyond your ability to to resist right you're like well it seems like he does because I keep falling but with the temptation he also provides a way of escape that you may endure it listen God provides you with a way of escape but well, what are some of those ways of escape number one Put on the whole armor of God every day. Read the Word of God. Pray. Ask God to help you. Two, the church is here for you. You don't have to battle this alone. Find a friend in the church. Or come to the pastors. Find someone that will pray with you and pray for you and hold you accountable. Get into a discipleship group. There's a novel idea. And in that discipleship group, be transparent and vulnerable. Get engaged in a piney family that will come around you and pray for you. Be regular in attendance on Sunday mornings so that you're constantly hearing the Word of God. Don't try to fight this battle alone. God has given us the church to help us walk faithfully. Number five, if you are a follower of Christ and you have in the past sinned sexually, there is grace for you. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sin, oh, what are those next words? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're, if, if you're battling sexual sin, but you're, you're confessing it and you're, you're in the power of God repenting of it, listen, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your guilt has been nailed to the cross. You've been washed. You've been made purer than snow. And no matter how horrible or gruesome or sickening your sin was, Jesus' grace is greater. He paid the penalty for your sin and He bore your shame. He knows all about your sin and He loves you. He is faithful. Six, if you are a follower of Christ and have battled sexual sin for some time, sometimes victorious, sometimes not, I want to assure you that if you are a follower of Christ, he is faithful and he will sanctify you. I love the verse. It doesn't say this in ESV. I think it's NIV or or King James where it says that he who began a good work in you is faithful. Will be faithful to complete it. Lord, listen to how Paul closes the first letter to the Thessalonians with this prayer. 1 Thessalonians five twenty three. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Praise the Lord for our faithful God. Seven, if you are not a follower of Christ, I want you to listen to me. If you're not a follower of Christ and you battle sexual sin, I just want you to know that your biggest problem is that you will stand before God one day at the judgment. That's the biggest problem you have in your life. I would love to have the opportunity to introduce you to the faithful one. Jesus Christ took on flesh. He was born of a virgin. He was the eternal son of God, yet he was born of a virgin and came to this earth to die for the sins of his people. And he is faithful so that it says in God's words, that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can trust that. Now, what does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? It doesn't just mean to say Jesus. It doesn't just mean to pray a particular prayer or say magic words. What it means is to humble yourself before God and recognize that you're a sinner and say, Lord, I want to turn. Here's what, here's what the Bible says. You need to repent. Repent. And to repent means you're walking in sin and and repent means to turn around and run toward God instead. That's what repentance is. You need to repent of your sin to God and ask Him to save you. And He will do it. He will be faithful to do it. If you're not sure what that means? Fill out a connection card and put put your name and and email address or phone number on it and put it in the offering box or just grab me afterwards. I would love to talk to you about it. We're going to take communion here in a moment. And for those of you who are not following Jesus Christ, this meal's not for you, not yet. It's It's an enactment it's an affirmation of our covenant that we have with God as God's people. But during that time, I urge you to pray and ask God to, to shine the light of the gospel in your heart and to convince you of the truth. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ, well, actually, whether you are or not, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And I am going to just speak this hymn over you. Let these words soak in this morning. Great hymn. We sing it here sometimes. Taken from Lamentations 3. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest... Sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature and manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. So if you are... Trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation. And if you've had that faith affirmed in a local church by baptism, I invite you to take the wafer that represents the broken body of Christ, the body that he faithfully allowed to be broken for you. And as an act of of confidence in God's faithfulness, I invite you to join me now in, in taking this wafer. And I invite you to take the juice that represents the blood of Christ, the blood that seals the covenant. And again, as an act of faith, I invite you to drink it, to remember what, what God has done, to remember the faithfulness of God. Amen.